Hi, I'm Mike from the Genuine Chit Chat Podcast, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. I speak to a wide variety of guests, including CEOs of businesses, psychologists, authors, musicians, travellers, people suffering with physical and mental illnesses, and everyone in between. Where we speak about a large variety of topics, including music and movies and pop culture, but also some more controversial topics, including drug reform, political correctness, and many more. No subject is off limits. You can find us in all the usual podcast places, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, as well as on YouTube. And you can follow us in all the usual social media places. And to be clear, I don't expect everyone listening to enjoy every episode of my show. What I do think is that due to the wide variety of guests and topics, that there'll be at least one episode that each person listening will enjoy. So if you still appreciate the art of conversation and want to hear honest conversations with interesting people, then be sure to check out Genuine Chit Chat in all the usual places. So, welcome to my first uh, post-election <laughs> recording, Tristan. This is really quite special. <laughs> Days later, in the uh, in the wasteland, here we are. Yes. Oh. So, we've kept calm and carried on, though, haven't we? We have. The, 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 the British way, the stiff upper lip has kicked in, and... Everyone's going about their, their business. Yeah. Yep, nothing has changed. Except, uh, on, except on Facebook. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, Facebook, obviously, everyone is uh, near, near suicidal. <laughs> uh, desperately crying out for, uh, well, how did this happen? How did this happen? But yeah. I think it's kind of telling. Um, even, like, you know, as well, like, like you say, sat here and everyone's just going on their, their daily stuff. It is sort of like, again, a, a bit of the bubble that we live in, really, yeah. isn't it? Because I'm sure, as we're looking around going, oh, everyone's just going on about their daily business. Is drinking their lattes and they're uh, recording their podcasts yeah. in the back of a costas. Yeah, but, but I don't know we're doing that. But, but I don't imagine everyone is. I imagine oh. it's still pretty bleak up in some places. And I do feel sorry for those sort of people, the people who really did need a different government and the one that got elected in on, yeah. on Thursday. Yeah. Mm. Um, but that just kind of says that that kind of says that London is a real echo chamber, isn't it? Mm. Like, I think it is. Me and my mum were basically. Me and my mum were saying from day one. Labour are not going to get in. The Tories will win by a landslide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's been on the cards since 2015, in my opinion, really. Um, Corbyn, people have really reacted sort of oddly to the whole Corbyn thing he, from day one. He basically wasn't popular from day one. He was no. too left. He's yeah. always too left. But people started attacking him for various other stupid things, like the whole IRA sympathiser nonsense and stuff like that. And none of that was important. It was he was too left. People didn't want that sort of politics. There's a reason people like Tony Blair and stuff did get into power. And we, we you know we can wax lyrical for hours about the war and Iraq and everything. But the reason was was he was closer to the centre than yeah. to the extreme left. Yes, that's true. <laughs> it's just all it is. But you know what? We. It's a sad, it's a sad time that we're living right now, mm-hmm. but we've got to make the most of it. I think. I think so too. Um, I, I'm a yeah, left-leaning Remainer through and through. Um, I've been sick yeah. to death of the whole Brexit debate, if I'm yeah. honest. Um, I do think it's a, uh, it's actually a. Uh, extreme on both sides yeah. uh, the, the, the constant doom and gloom and oh it's going to be chaos and there's going to be medicinal shortages it's like you know what there'll be things to overcome yeah. and no doubt things will go wrong in, in a few areas and then it will be fixed and rectified and we'll we'll get on with it and it will actually all be okay and yeah we, we, you know, we, we see it now as a 
frankly an inconvenience you know, yeah yeah what why is think why are things going to be more expensive why are we going to have to pay for visas to go to europe now and all this sort of stuff but reality is we did in the past yeah we're going to do it again you've just got to get on with it as, it is time to get on with it as do people need their mourning period yeah yeah. And we've had that, but it's also caused political unrest for yeah. three years. So now we've <laughs> got to go into the, the harshness that is a, a, a Tory hard Brexit, no doubt. Oh, yeah. Um, a and no it, deal Brexit. And yeah, yeah, and it'll be crap, and it will be crap, but it won't be crap forever. And no. we're not, I mean, it won't be crap. We're not talking like, you know, you know, in, in, in hundreds of years' time, our, our, our sort of like future descendants will be crawling their way out of the ashes, going, it's all better now. It's, we're not even that far away. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's going to be a bit shit. Yeah. It'll get better. So, so did you grow up in Surbiton or? Not at all. Um, so I'm originally Scottish. Ah, uh, yeah, where about, so about Scotland? Aberdeen. Aberdeen oh, originally. Nice um, and then moved to the Midlands, uh, where I grew up in Lichfield. Okay. Um, and then uh, after I left home, I sort of travelled around a bit, went up to Aberdeen again, lived in Manchester, lived in Southampton, and then uh, since, uh, since the beginning of this decade, really, I've been yeah. in London. So, uh, yeah. So what was it like growing up in Aberdeen? <laughs> but Aberdeen I don't remember very well for, as a kid. Um, I was very young when we left. Um, okay. but, but I went back there as a, as a student. I did my first degree up there. Oh, nice. Um, and, and it was oh, ace. First degree. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's my first. Um, uh, yeah, no, I did my first degree up there. I did philosophy of Aberdeen. Uh, did a degree in master's. Yeah. Um, loved it. Um, a brilliant city. Very isolated. Very cold. But yeah. at the same time, it, it, I... I it does. It feels like home. You know, it's, it's a wonderful, magical sort of place. So, but I did most of my growing up in Lichfield. Okay. What was that like? Shit. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Tory heartlands. Um, so uh, their, their MP has been since even since before I was born. I think Michael Fabricant, um, who's an absolute wally. Um, I, I hated the place. Um, I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even. Uh, you know, to anyone listening in from Litchfield, uh, I fucking hated the place. Uh, but it was horrible. Uh, real, real backwater city. Um, and what it is mean, a city. What, what do you mean by backwater city? Oh, it's it, it's just so little England. It's so it's this little midland city uh, that never wanted to change. So it's uh, never grown as a city. And it's yep. not even like you, you go there, you wouldn't know it was a city. The only reason it's a city is got a cathedral. Um, and everyone there thinks they're posh, and, every, and they're not. And oh, honestly, the whole place is the most fake, horrible place I've ever lived in. Um, I've travelled around the UK for you know whatever the last sort of 20 years of my life or 24 years of my life um and i've never wanted to go back to litchfield is it's it one of, horrible is, is it one of those places where everyone knows everyone else's everyone's business? related to everybody else. oh yeah, jesus vile vile place but yeah everyone knows each other's business and <laughs> everyone's i mean i mean i, I my, my mum wasn't well, so I'm not going to I'm no. going to dwell on that. But um, she used to have fights with the the kids um, on the streets. You know, like, I mean, not a fist fight, so like shouty argument yeah. fights. Um, but the kids gave as good as they got. And this was like in the 80s and the 90s. Yeah. And then the parents would come out and join in and stuff like that. And they'd all be screaming and shouting on the streets. Um, but then the next time you'd see him, it's all like posh behaviour and uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. yeah, no, yeah, and, and, and all like their houses were all like spick and span. It just, oh, it's horrible. I used to, uh, there's a, a phrase my grandma used to use, all kippers and no curtains. <laughs> and, and it was like that. It was, oh, it was horrible, but horrible. You make, you're making it sound a bit like the Stepford Wives. Yeah, it was a bit. It was, oh, it was a horrible place. Oh, didn't like it. Didn't like this field at all. <laughs> but, you moved out of Lynchville? I did, when I was 16, yeah. So, 18, sorry. Where did you go? Or did you move back to Aberdeen then? or was it? 18's when I moved back to Aberdeen. Um, I was in Aberdeen for a few years. I got to do my degree. Then I left Aberdeen and moved to Manchester. 
then from Manchester to Southampton and then Southampton did a little bit of travelling um, did some pieces uh, yeah. and then uh, ended up wound up in the prison service I was about to ask you about that actually <laughs> uh, ended up working at Winchester prison and then that, uh, after a few years there that's when I moved to London uh, following my prison service career yeah okay so what made you want to get into the prison service oh god uh, money money <laughs> money it paid well back then okay yeah 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 all, I, I was like the last intake of uh, the old school sort of officers uh, so we got paid a decent wage um, got a decent amount of training yeah it was good um, and then uh, I, I really worked in the death like death throes of the prison service it's in real trouble now real okay. real trouble um, very low uh, staff staff turnover is massive low numbers of staff pay is ridiculous um, and you're losing experienced people and it's uh, like attracting like 18 19 year olds now it's, it's a ridiculous situation but, but when 18 I, 19 year olds working with death row and yep 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 yep, yep. Yeah, it, it was it, it was happening when I so when I started the prison service when I worked at Winchester Prison I would work on a wing with about 250 inmates and there'd be about eight of us on duty and your face there says it all <laughs> most people think that's horrific um, when I left I left working um, uh, in 2016 and when I left there was usually about 350 inmates to a wing and one SO and two officers um, that was it. the government seemed to feel that 110 prisoners to one officer was a fair ratio in a fight. Yeah, that's, um, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I can't even. Oh, my boggles! My boggles! And at the same time, because of the lack of, uh, of, of, of staff and stuff like that, obviously, then drugs are getting into the prison. Of course, uh, synthetic drugs like spice started coming in just as I was sort of cut leaving, um, and so I caught the tail of that. Uh, well, not the tail of it. I caught the start of it. I, I left yeah. um, and oh it was horrific I mean these guys were like you know five six times stronger than they should be you know horrific horrific stuff and then the, the fumes of it were affecting staff as well so yeah. staff were going sick which you know when you're already running on skeleton crew oh it's awful mate awful so I left in 2016 <laughs> yeah. so I can kind of sympathise with the, the prisoners though because oh, they're yeah. on death row they, they don't give a shit <laughs> I mean, they, yeah, they, uh, prison's an old place. Prison in the UK is an old place. Um, yeah. It's uh, I would describe it as being like cross between Oz, the TV series Oz. I really want to watch that. Oh, it's really good. I, I it's can brutal. imagine. It's brutal, but British prisons are like Oz meets porridge. The the, the, the humour side of it and you know the Britishness of a British prison, it, it is there. Like yeah. it is there. Uh, but then they are brutally violent, horrible, horrible, horrible places as well. Yeah. But you know sort of 50-50 really 50% of the time I'd say I was having quite a good laugh there yeah. um, a lot of the inmates in there are really quite sound and yeah. get on with the prison yeah. officers then the other 50% was, was vile like the worst stuff I've ever seen in my life well then I guess that's when you're in any situation though you're going to get along with you're going to get along half of them and the other half you're probably yeah. not going to get along with yeah yeah it's sort of it is like a, it's real life in microcosm really but it's at the same time you know heavily male obviously I worked in male prisons yeah. um, heavily, oh, heavily like uh, mat, the big heavy macho environment um, amongst both officers and inmates uh, well, officers and it might, so well, officers trying to one up each other. As yeah, well. yeah, and officers trying to one up prisoners as well. I mean, honestly, what? oh, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, oh, I, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this with some of my old friends, but I'm going to say it anyway. There was nothing worse in prison than prison officers. Prison officers are, for the most part, dicks. Um, I actually sympathise with prisoners to an extent. Um, I've never met a bunch of more. Not all of them, obviously. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm generalising. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've worked with some amazing people, but. On the whole, I would say most prison officers are, you know, they're, they're like 
failed security guards. I mean, they yeah. are just awful people. Um, really full of their own importance. Mm. Really, you know, really getting off on the power of it. Actually, I was never one of them. I really wasn't. I'm a no. tattooed, pierced young guy. They all, they all actually thought uh, when I worked at Winchester Prison, there was a, a little cartel of them that worked the security desk, um, and they were all morons. Like these people wouldn't be qualified to push trolleys, but uh, <laughs> but in prison they all thought they were special, um, and they really had me tagged as some kind of corrupt screw bringing in drugs, which I wasn't. Never was. Never was. That's a shame. Um, I know. Yeah, no, I could have made a lot of money, but no, I really, really didn't. Um, I'm, I'm not anti-drugs myself. Um, but I'm not. Neither am I. Though pro. I don't think prisoners should have drugs. It's prison for Christ's sake. So I'd never bring any. But, but yeah, there's a little group that really, really thought that I probably was, and the rest of us knew who were the dodgy officers, and because they were mates with them, you know, they, they never, it never crossed their mind to look at them. It, honestly horrible people working in prison they really do but there's also some really good ones there are people going there to make a difference but prison officers man they're the worst well i think well the horrible ones do you reckon that they were the type to get bullied as kids yes. and then they're <laughs> taking whatever anguish and angst they had as yes. children out on the most vulnerable people in society yes very very much so i'd very much describe it like that you have a lot of um ex audies you know people who never really progressed through the ranks but but have still then come out of the army feeling i don't know powerful and strong but not finding a place on the cv streets they then go and enter prison and and yeah basically just pick on people but these bullies I saw in prison were prison officers. There's no doubt about it. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, it was awful. Uh, but there were some good ones. There were. Some yeah. Good ones. But again, that's with every, that's with, mm-hmm. that's with everyone. So this is a microcosm of life. Yeah. What? Um, what made you want you want to leave it? I didn't want to leave. Um, I got um. So I got spat at in about 2011. Fuck off. Yeah, seriously. So this is true. Uh, so this is basis of quite a bit of a comedy. So I got spat at. Um, and the guy who spat at me had the console virus, HSV-1. Um, and within about four or five days, um, being spat out, I developed flu-like symptoms and stuff like that. Yeah. And then one fateful morning, I woke up with a rash where you shouldn't have a rash. Oh, Jesus. Uh, so my, my partner thought I'd been cheating on her, uh, which oh, I hadn't God. been. Um, so she was like, right, we're off to an STD clinic. So we went off to an STD clinic, uh, had to flop the old fella out. They took one look at, it, uh, look at him and went, well, we've never seen that before. Um, and it turned out it was meningitis rash. Um, yeah, <laughs> didn't think of rolling a milk bottle down my cock. It uh, didn't cross my mind. But um, there's meningitis rash, and I got rushed into hospital with um, meningoencephalitis. So I had meningitis and encephalitis. Uh, I had three strokes. Um, I was well, I was in hospital for about six, seven weeks. Um, at one point, I was told I was never going to walk again. Blah blah blah. Uh, beat it. Um, but um, but came out with a residual brain damage from the strokes. Um, and then over a period of a few years, four or five years, uh, a progressive amount of symptoms, uh, which they initially thought might be a Parkinsonism. Uh, so they were sort of treating me for Parkinson's for a little brief period. Um, but then uh, only this year, February this year, uh, it's actually been diagnosed as a- a MS, multiple sclerosis. Um, and uh, what's sort of really happening is virus is still like in my system. Yeah. Um, will never leave my system. But it's uh, making my immune system attack my nervous system. Um, so, I, yeah, so I've, I've got progressive MS. So, what happened to the guy that spat at you initially? No, nothing. I mean, like, again, prison is a weird environment. Um, yeah. The guy who spat at me was a homeless-ish sort of guy, um, mental health problems. Homeless-ish, was it? Well, you have these people that, um, like, so I, I was aware of him, and he'd been in and out of prison, and they'd 
he'd go out sometimes into like shelter um, or family and stuff like that and then other times when he'd come back in you'd find he'd been living on the streets for a bit and then family would start visiting him so he was sort of in and out of being homeless as well as being in and out of okay. being in prison does that make sense? yeah um, mental health problems uh, which is I mean, again one of the horrors of prison there's so many people in there with mental health problems who shouldn't be in prison you know they actually need help but they're just like constant like uh, they, they become repeat offenders because they're trapped in that loop it's a cycle like, isn't yeah, it yeah because they're not getting the help that they need to get out of the loop but um and he was one of these um and another officer had been winding him up um, if i'm honest and then i was trying to put him behind his door um and he just freaked out and he, and he lost his temper and he spat in my face um it wasn't aimed at me as an individual you know it was, it was the uniform yeah um and yeah so um and yeah, and he almost killed me. <laughs> yeah. oh. But um, I'm sure if he ever found out, he'd be devastated. Yeah. You know, it, was, it wasn't wasn't an, in, an intentional assault of that severity. Either. No. You know, he wouldn't know. Like, like, he, he wouldn't know that he'd had it. No, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, cold sore virus. When they when they took my spinal fluid, it was a riddle of the cold sore virus. Oh Jesus. So I'm working in the prison in the prison service. What do you think of programs like Band Up Abroad and the Scared Straight programs for teenagers? Um. So like a busman's holiday to me. I don't watch them very often, uh, but but I have dabbled. Um, I like the scared straight one, um, and the prison officers used to discuss this. Um, we actually strongly believe that if you get like young offenders and you put them in a straight away into a male prison environment for four days, don't give them any longer than that because you don't want them to settle into the routine of it. Um, but if you just stuck them in there for four days, we reckon we'd cut reoffending by half. Because it's when they get used to the regime and used to how prison actually does work. Prison does work. You know, it's, it's a there's a, a way like a jailcraft we used to call it. How prisons like tick along. Um, and once you settle into that, a lot of people become quite you know happy in that environment, institutionalised, all that kind of stuff over long term. But if you just got someone in for four days, I reckon that would scare the bejesus out of most people. Yeah. Um, and I do, we do think so. So I suppose prison officers came up with the concept of scared straight before it became a TV in, show. In America, yeah, in America, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and we genuinely believe that. Do you think it'd work as well in the UK though? Yes. Because, okay. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Very much so. Again, it's the, the young lads coming into prison are initially shit scared for about four or five days. Uh, then they settle in, they start joining older lads and start teaching yeah. them the way of prison. And then before you know it, you've got gangs. Yeah. Um, yeah, very much generalising, very much generalising. But, but that is effectively what happens. Uh, yeah, I think would work in the UK. Um, okay. And prison needs massive, massive, massive reform. Yeah. So there's no doubt, I mean, God, I could talk for hours about prison reform, but prison needs massive reform. Is it a prison that needs reform, or is it a society that needs reform? No, prison, prison needs massive amounts of reform. Okay. Um, society, you know, crime is actually not as bad as people think. Um, obviously, I've you know, got anyone who's listening to this who's been a victim of crime, incredibly sorry that... I'm you not. Know, <laughs> but you know what I mean, like, you know, obviously, you know, with caveats, yeah. you know, crime is awful, but crime isn't actually that prevalent it's no. not as you know this fear mongering that goes on in the press and stuff you only ever get reported the bad things crime isn't that big and the prison population in the uk is large but it's not that large it's a tiny percentage of the population but most of the people i've met in prison i genuinely don't think should be in prison there's a lot of people who are in there for drugs which i genuinely think is a is a public health issue not a criminal issue yeah um 
there's a lot of people in there because they've got mental health problems, which is a social issue, as well as, again, a public health issue. See, that's why I meant that. That's why yeah. I meant that our society needs a reform. Okay, yeah, yeah, no, I see what you mean. Yeah, sorry, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think that, yeah, the, the reform of the prison has got to come from a reform of how people view crime. Yeah. Uh, really, yeah. We, we need a whole big overhaul of the whole system. Um, things in the UK that are still criminal, uh, like, like, say, cannabis possession and stuff like that, is ludicrous. Not because I, I'm particularly pro-cannabis. I mean, I, I, I am. Uh, but but this, this isn't the argument. Yeah. It, it is just simply put, it's not a criminal issue. No. Uh, this is not something that should be dealt with as, as a crime. If, if you found your kid smoking cannabis or, or looking after cannabis you, you shouldn't punish them you shouldn't talk to them about why they are yeah why have they reached out for this sort of drug in the first place you know and that and that genuinely progresses through into adulthood um i'm a cannabis user now because uh, i've got ms i shouldn't be criminalized for that you know i, I don't really see you know somebody like, like myself who's led a good life you know has worked in yeah. the prison environment you know educated blah blah blah. i've got to to the stage of my life now where i've got a, a quite a severe illness which affects me in multiple multiple ways and i've genuinely found relief in cannabis yeah i'm committing a crime that's ridiculous no it's utterly ridiculous yes yeah. so yeah do you reckon we'll reach a point where it's legalized in it's the got I, mean, I, I think uh, i mean we're, we are american black dog to some extent well we? especially now yeah and um, especially yeah as, as we uh as we now need to really do look for trade and ways of generating money frankly yeah um america's done fantastic out of it and yeah. actually really has and recreational use it should just be completely legalized for we should start having dispensaries in the uk I mean, it's not everywhere in America that does it. No, but most of the states, and most of the states that are doing it, are, are seeing success. Yeah. Colorado had to give people money back in their taxes. Yeah. Gave them a huge tax rebate uh, because they've literally made so much money in, in revenue from cannabis. They, they don't know what to do with the money. You know, policing is now like they're being able to cut police numbers because they're not using the police. What a wonderful society that must be. You know what I mean? To like, to, I mean, we've had police cuts in the UK, and what have we seen? Increase in crime. Yeah. Wouldn't it be lovely to be cutting? police numbers because of a decrease in crime I mean that'd be amazing so. have you seen the new series of South Park I, I haven't watched all of it yeah I saw, ah. I saw, I saw the first few of the Tegrity Farms Tegrity Farms yeah that's what I was going to ask <laughs> that's what we're talking about like it's, they've real they've they're geniuses like that's yeah. let's, yeah. well, okay let's get that yeah, yeah straight sure. away totally agree but <laughs> this the fact that they focused that, fo- that that was their main focus for um, for the first half of the season yeah is it's very topical and, yeah, it's, yeah. and they've literally gone through all the upsides and the downsides of yeah. the legalization of the of the decriminalization of marijuana and, and there are going to be problems with it i mean one of the things i sort of hate in, in the in the conversation that you have sometimes with people about the legalization of marijuana is when people start saying about the problems you know yeah you know, and we'll, we'll touch a few, but you know, we're not going too deep into them because they're all flawed in their own unique ways. That's sort of like it being a gateway drug or it affecting brain development. Even if it is, let's say it isn't. No, I totally yeah. agree with you. Yeah. But even if it is, even if it's a gateway drug, even if it does harm the brain development of teenagers if they start using it, even if you know it causes people to get become drowsy at the wheel of their cars and die, yeah. so does alcohol. Yeah. Alcohol does all of those things, and to prohibit one substance over another substance when arguably they're just as bad as each other I, I you know ban all I, mean, I don't think we should be banning anything but, but ban all of it or legalize all of it you know, it, it yeah. doesn't make sense to me I'm not funny yeah. but like if they're viewing cannabis as a because it's a mind-altering substance yeah as a gateway
gateway drug. Shouldn't they ban everything that alters your mind? I mean, food alters your mind. Coffee. Coffee, Coffee. alters your mind. Remember, music, music alters your mind. Dude, the two combined. I, I'm, I'm a grunge kid. I grew up in I grew up in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember my first true proper drug experience or like mind-opening experience probably was for me when me and my mate Griggy, you were big Nirvana fans, had been listening to Nirvana like non-stop uh, at school with our uh, headphone down the sleeve. Remember that trick? Oh, God, yeah. Into the ear. And then we finished school. We went down to uh, Garrick's uh, coffee shop in Litchfield and bought two cafetiers of coffee and sat there talking about Nirvana, drinking coffee. Nice. I was hyped out my eyeballs. I've never drunk coffee before <laughs> in my life. You know, genuinely. You know what I mean? And that, 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 there you go. That was a mind-altering experience. How old were you then? Oh, God, I was about 12, I think. 12 or 13. Shit. Yeah. Drinking coffee at 12. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, you know, I was down yeah. at, <laughs> at Garrick's, yeah, having, having a coffee, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cool. It was cool. Yeah, that's what my, my idols were doing. Yeah. You know, coffee. It's a drug. <laughs> so, yeah. So, question. What... So you leave the prison system in 2016. Yeah. How long after that do you do your first comedy gig, and what? Oh wow! What made you want to start doing comedy? Very good question. Um, so 2016, um, I got let go from the prison service. I was actually medically retired, um, so I pensioned off um, with no direction, really, no idea really what to do. Um, I was in a relationship, in a long-term relationship, and I was happy. You know, life, life was fairly, fairly good, and I kind of felt like I got everything together. Um, and then when the prison service job ended, I took a few months to myself, um, got a parrot, um, so training my parrot. Um, and you still got the parrot? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've still got the parrot. I've got parrots now. We'll get oh, parrots? Yeah, oh. three. Um, and yeah, and I just took a few months to myself, but then I, I was getting bored and I wanted to start a new job. Um, so I did. So I started, I started working for in healthcare. I started working for Nice, uh, just doing admin stuff, and, and slowly built myself a new career. But it's quite a dramatic change. I mean, they they, they didn't 100% know what was wrong with me, um, illness-wise. So I was still in exploring that. I've just been let go from a job which I did love and I, I really was quite good at. Um, and then thrust into a new world, like working in London in you know, shirt and tie and all that sort of stuff that I was very not used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just all started getting too much. You know, it really, yeah. really did. It started getting too much. And over the next couple of years, it, it, it put a lot of strain on my relationship and, and everything. Um, but I, I soldiered through and I soldiered through. But it, it got to a point and it was... So it was like you know, Christmas 2017 heading into 2018. I was watching um, watching the TV and I was really, really depressed, really, really down. Uh, my auntie Margaret had just passed away as well. Um, so everything was just sort of getting on top of me. And I saw a documentary and it was Rod Gilbert uh, talking about his like chronic shyness and um, his sort of social anxiety and how quite stand-up comedy had been a really good thing for him. I've always been. What's that documentary called? Do you remember? Oh, I can't remember. No, no. But it was. Um, but it was. Um, it was um, Rod Gilbert chatting away about that. Um, and uh, he, he, he was talking about a comedy course he did where he met Greg Davies. They both did the same comedy course. It was Logan Murray's comedy course. Um, yeah, well, and it was a big shout, and it got me interested enough that I googled who the hell is Logan Murray, um, and decided to do that comedy course. So I did that comedy course in March 2018. Um, How did you find doing the comedy course? Really brilliant. Um, so I've always been quite an outwardly confident person. I've always kind of needed to be. I left home young, all that sort of stuff. I've always had to present myself a certain way. But I'm actually quite, you know, scared. You know, yeah. You know, and, and worried. You know, I've got an illness. I've got everything. You know, everything at this point in my life, everything wasn't looking rosy. And I was like, I was just scared. 
and I could feel stuff sort of crumbling around me and you know I, I needed to do something different something to get myself out of that rut um, and I suppose on a subconscious level I sort of knew that my my friendships were changing I felt let down by quite a lot of friends I could feel my relationship falling apart as well I was trying to hold on to it but yeah, it was definitely falling apart and I suppose on a subconscious level I needed an escape route I needed a I needed a parachute um, and I went out and did the comedy um, god I was I was abysmal I was, I was terrible I remember like, as we all, oh, are, we all we, we still are yeah but on oh, my first attempt uh, it was like lesson three of Logan's course and mm. oh, I was terrible uh, but somehow turned it around turned it into the comedy I do and ended up headlining that course uh, nice. which I was really chuffed about and, uh, and then since then literally since that point I've managed a gig a week uh, ever since uh, I did gig 90 the other day uh, 90 so good really, for you uh, so in a year and a bit with the MS going on everything I'm yeah. pretty chuffed with that um, yeah so I did gig 90 so, uh, yeah, so what, what do you mean you headlined the course um, so we have to do a um Showcase. showcase that's what I was after yeah we had to do a showcase at the end of the course and Logan said that he, uh, the two sort of like prizes per se would be the opener and the closer we needed a, a solid open yeah. but, but a solid close um, and he didn't tell us until literally like an hour before the performance yeah. and it was like it was all, all a big mystery and one of the guys who was hilariously funny a guy called Andy he got to open it is he then, still going? Um, I think Andy's an actor, so I think he's been doing panto. Uh, but I've definitely not seen him on the comedy scene. No. I'll, I'll come to that in a moment. Actually, it's yeah. an interesting like, question. Yeah, but I, I headlined it, so I, I nice. closed it. Yeah, so I was really happy about that. And it really got me, really got me the bug. Like really, really, I really caught the bug. Mm. Um, I'm still friends with a load of people from that comedy course. Uh, we still talk quite regularly. Um, How many of them are still doing comedy? So Tom Barr is still going. Okay, yeah. Um, he's a uh, very sporadic, bless him, but he's uh, he's very funny. You should check him out. Um, is he a teacher, by the way? No, God okay. knows what Tom does. Um, but he's a good lad, okay. uh, very funny, and he so he does it sporadically. Kira Jack um, is brilliant, Norwich-based comedian. She's doing fantastic, um, but she was already established when she did the course. Uh, but a good friend of mine I was out with her the other night yeah um, and then I'd argue that is about it really um, right. I don't think anyone else has stuck with it you see that's uh, what I find because yeah. I did a comedy course around the same time as you okay. yeah, I did the Kate Smurfquake one okay yeah yeah and from what I know it's literally myself and Charlene Jahan who are the only ones the only who are doing it the only ones doing it yeah. I'm about, it started off with about 20 people on the first yeah. one yeah it went down to about 17 yeah. then it went down to about 10 yeah. and then yeah you did, it's, it's pretty much the same a few of my friends did uh, maybe 5 or 6 gigs I think uh, one of my friends Jerry he's still out there doing it um, but uh, I think I'm definitely from the from the newbies in the course I'm definitely the most prolific so yeah but it's good you know that it's good that people like come to the courses and learn the skills yeah. it's a shame that they don't carry it on but then at the same time if you imagine how many courses there are a year if each one of them churning out 20 people like Jesus there'd be literally no gigs up for anyone, no. So the attrition rate is a, uh, I think, acceptable. I think it's, I think it's a good thing. Um, it's, but it, in a positive way, I think it's a good thing that people give it a go. Um, it's still a skill that everyone should try at least once. What do you, um, what do you think you learn from your comedy course? Um, less self-editing, uh, yeah. which has sort of led to less self-doubt, I suppose. Um, what do you mean by less self-editing? Um, interesting concept. So when when I started writing jokes, I've always loved comedy, and I, I, I really I know everyone's probably gags on about it, but I, but I do. I've, I've always loved comedy. I've always loved like sitcoms and everything like that. I've always been an addict to comedy. Um, even like the FHM jokes page and stuff like that. You know, to the point where I, I genuinely say I've got quite an encyclopedic knowledge of jokes. I, I love jokes. 
Um, and I know most of them. Um, and yeah, trying to write jokes when you're trying to write comedy, I'd find myself sitting there going like, well, no, it's very similar to such and such a joke, so I can't say that, or that's low-hanging fruit, you know, all, the, all those things. Um, and it just gets in the way of creativity. Whereas after doing the course in particular, and Logan sort of teaching us more like how to be playful and all that sort of stuff, um, now I'm left less self... I turn yeah. that editor off, so I'll write the jokes anyway, and I'll do all that sort of creative stuff. I won't be like going through writing a joke and then picking it apart. I'll write 20 of them, and then I'll go over them yeah. and, and see if a few of them do seem a bit samey or hanging through and stuff. And, and, and it becomes a more reflective exercise and an immediately self-critical exercise. And that's sort of translated it sort of into my real life now. I'm, I'm much more willing to just say or do something just because it's what popped into my head and it might be the right answer. Um, whereas before I'd be more... I, I wouldn't be as prone to speaking up, uh, even though bizarrely I came across very confident. Um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really put myself out there ideas-wise no. uh, for fear of it being wrong or shut down and all that sort of stuff. So I do that less now. Yeah. See, for me, because I do more long-form stuff, I've got to sort of self-edit a little bit more because if it doesn't flow properly or if there's not a joke and there's not a laugh every 20 seconds. Yeah. Then it's then the lulls way too then the lulls are way too yeah. long. So I've got I personally have to edit Fair enough, all yeah. the time. So I record it's all like my sets. I write puns. Yes, so. I know. <laughs> so how do you find like so? How do you find coming up with new puns on a regular basis? Hard. Hard. Um, yeah, I can yeah. imagine. Yeah. Because um, I, I back myself into my own corner as well. I don't just write puns. I write autobiographical puns. Yeah. Uh, so I'm trying to write about my experiences and at the same time turn them into a pun or a one-liner okay. which is tricky because uh, yeah. you have to pick the right story you want to tell as well and how to sort of break it down into how many puns and yeah. all that sort of stuff um, it's a tricky or right exercise but uh, but that is why I do it um, it's, it's not it's not a style of comedy I'm particularly you know in love with I'm not like oh I love a pun me no. you know, I do I, I, I like a well-written pun uh, what I like is the God, it sounds so boring and academic, but I like the I like the challenge. I yeah. really do like the challenge of it. It's not just sitting down and writing silliness for me. It's yeah. I'm actually trying to tell a story, and I'm actually trying to tell it in a certain way, which does seem to be working. Um, and, and yeah, I, I love the, uh, the challenge. So I, I actually end up with probably about five puns a week. Five puns a week. That's I end good. Up with, um, and then maybe two of those survive into the set, and then. You, you end up with one, so it's like an iterative process. That's self-editing, though. That's, uh, yeah, it yeah. is, but it, but it's uh, it's more game. Initially, though, my self-editing would start at point, yeah. uh, point zero. Oh, yeah. okay. Writing the pun and then going, I don't like that bit. Yeah. Whereas now I'll churn and, and then go back to it. So I'm still doing self-editing, but but much freer, like much less. Yeah. So yeah, this is Tristan McKenna. If you are enjoying what you've heard so far, and why the fuck wouldn't you be, um, click on to episode to part two of this conversation where we'll continue talking about his life, his views, and we'll get on to why he maybe doesn't like Blackadder. So yeah, coming for that. Good.